I'm going and I'm telling everyone where I'm going For I'm going back to that old stamping ground I'm so weary and my happiness is nowhere near me I'm so sick and tired of getting the run around Things have been not so good Since I left the old neighborhood Got no one with love to spare That's why I'm getting out of here I'm going Yes, I'm going while the wind keeps on blowing It will blow me back to that old stamping ground Listening to WETF, the Jazz Station in South Bend, Indiana. This is the Jazz Focus, and my name is John Clark. Thank you for joining us today. We are uh, going to be playing a program uh, devoted to two players today. Uh, it was a, a brass and reed team that was very prominent in the recording studios and on 52nd Street in New York in the 1930s. And the fellow's names were Frankie Newton and Pete Brown. Frankie Newton was the trumpet player and the band leader on a number of these sides, and Pete Brown was one of his closest friends. He was an alto player. Uh, they were both African-American musicians who would come up in the 1920s. They were born in the same year, 1906. Uh, Pete Brown had come from Baltimore. He was not known as a big band player. He was primarily a small group ensemble player playing in even uh, trios and things like that on uh, 52nd Street. He was primarily an alto sax player, but he also recorded on trumpet, um, probably on soprano and tenor sax at different times as well. Frankie Newton, on the other hand, uh, was a seasoned big band player. He had uh, been born in Virginia and played in local uh, big bands in the 20s before joining McKinney's Cotton Pickers. Uh, he did not record with them as far as I know, but that brought him uh, to national prominence and to New York and he uh, joined a band led by Lloyd uh, Scott and his brother Cecil Scott. Lloyd Scott was actually the leader uh, but Cecil took the band over a little bit later and uh, he'll be heard on a number of these tracks uh, coming up. And those were Frankie Newton's probably his first recordings in about 1929. During the 1930s he played intermittently with Sam Wooding, Chick Webb, Charlie Johnson, Andy Kirk, uh, big bands, but he uh, gradually moved into the 52nd Street arena as well, playing in small groups, many of which he led and put together. He was also a very talented arranger. Uh, on recordings, uh, Frankie Newton was uh, seen as a particularly effective vocal accompanist. He played on uh, Bessie Smith's last recording date, and uh, he was on the recording date that uh, 
produced Strange Fruit, the Billie Holiday number, and he uh, recorded with a range, vast range of other people. He was a very good sight reader and musician, so he could read charts well. As I said, he could arrange. He improvised beautifully. Uh, he had an excellent trumpet range. He could play up in the very high register, although he did not very often. Um, he really uh, was somebody who could do quite a lot. Uh, he modeled his style, if on anybody, on the early Louis Armstrong, the very dramatic style, although he favored uh, mutes a lot more than Louis did during his uh, early days. And uh, as I said, he, he played in, in, in more arranged ensembles as well. He and Pete Brown met each other. Uh, they probably knew each other earlier than the middle 1930s, but about 1936 or 37, they started playing together at the Onyx Club on 52nd Street, and they had a band that was evolving into a kind of an organized swing band. We're going to hear some uh, recordings made of that band, maybe uh, amended by a few other players, but um, playing Frank Newton's arrangements. That band gradually morphed into what became known as the John Kirby Sextet, and uh, uh, I've done a podcast on the Jan John Kirby Sextet. If you take a listen to my podcast channel on Anchor.fm, again called the uh, Jazz Focus, you can hear uh, how that band evolved into uh, a very elaborately arranged and very, very uh, sophisticated ensemble. Uh, at first, it was Frankie Newton and Pete Brown playing two of the horns, with Buster Bailey playing clarinet, and they made a number of recordings together um, under Buster Bailey's name. We're going to hear a couple. Uh, also, uh, as backing to some different singers, we're going to hear uh, more or less that band playing uh, behind Willie the Lion Smith. There were also some fine recordings they did behind uh, Midge Williams, a little-known African-American singer, and those can be heard on another podcast that I did, devoted to the music of Pete Brown, and uh, no carryover on those sides to this one. I was going to do one show on Pete Brown, but I found so many things I really liked, I divided it in half, and I'm doing this show on Pete Brown and Frankie Newton, since they did so many excellent recordings together, and my podcast, Pete Brown Show, is basically the recordings that Brown made without Frankie Newton, at least in the 1930s. So we started out with The World is Waiting for the Sunrise, and that was a tune that was recorded as part of the Panassier Sessions, so-called. Hugh Panassier was a French jazz critic and uh, journalist who came to the United States in um, 1939 uh, with the expressed intention of making some recordings of New Orleans jazz, and he did that. He uh, got a contract with RCA Victor. He managed to get uh, Tommy Ladnier and uh, Sidney Bechet into the recording studios uh, and uh, put together a interesting little band that wasn't entirely to his taste. It had Mez Mesro in it, and the rhythm section wasn't a traditional New Orleans uh, rhythm section, but uh, it uh, was successful on a number of levels. He also had another session that he wanted to record some more modern jazz. Um, he was not, Panassier was not, a fan of anything beyond New Orleans-style jazz for the most part, but he was unveiled to uh, make some swing records, and so he had the ubiquitous Mez Mesro on clarinet, who is an, an extraordinary figure in jazz and a really awful clarinet player for the most part, at least on these sessions. But he brought Frank Newton and Pete Brown in and uh, backed them up with a wonderful rhythm section. James P. Johnson on piano, the great stride pianist. Al Casey on guitar. He was Fats Waller's guitarist in his uh, big band and small group. John Kirby on bass and Cozy Cole on drums. Cozy Cole at the time was playing with the Cap Calloway band. And this band and made uh, five or six titles. Uh, and the first one was 
one we just heard, The World is Waiting for the Sunrise, featured some exceptional uh, stride piano and also some excellent alto by uh, Pete Brown, as well as trumpet by Frankie Newton. We're going to hear a couple more from that session uh, at the end of the program. So from that point, we went to another uh, different type of group. This one was led by a different stride pianist, Willie the Lion Smith. And he had a series of recordings on Decca uh, that he called Willie Smith, The Lion and His Cubs. And the recording that we just heard uh, was called The Old Stomping Ground, and it was from July of 1937. And it featured Frankie Newton and Pete Brown and Buster Bailey on clarinet. Also, Jimmy McLean on guitar, John Kirby on bass, O'Neill Spencer on drums and vocal. That was basically the John Kirby sextet at the Onyx Club at that time. It had a guitar player as well, Jimmy McLean. He's in some of the early pictures and played on some of the early records. And Willie the Lion, of course, played piano. So we had a different type of stride piano on that one. And we heard a vocal by O'Neill Spencer. So we're going to hear one other track from that same session coming up, Peace Brother Peace, and the same band with uh, O'Neill Spencer again singing. Uh, these were songs that uh, were not terribly well known. Um, I think this Peace Brother Peace was a Clarence Williams tune, or one that he claimed at any rate, and the old stomping ground was by Bishop Smith and Lafreniere, so these were not exactly top-level uh, Tin Pan Alley songs, but uh, they were effective vehicles for the solos, and we'll hear um, some more very, very fine Pete Brown. He's one of my favorite alto players, a very humorous, bouncy style. He uh, played great blues, as we will hear, but he also just managed to convey a lightness to his playing, especially in the 1930s. His sound was very um, rich. Uh, it wasn't a big sound like Johnny Hodges or even Benny Carter, but it had a, a sort of an inner life to it, which was captured very well on the recordings from this period. And he was a good antidote to Frankie Newton, who was a much more serious staid musician who uh, played in a much more dramatic style. So the two of them together were uh, a very good uh, yin and yang and uh, Obviously, they were thought of as that way because they must have made about 15 or 20 different recording sessions from 1936 to about 1940. So our next tune, as I said, is called Peace Brother Peace by Willie the Lion and his Cubs. Then we're going to go to two tunes, uh, again, by more or less the John Kirby Band, this time led by Buster Bailey. Buster Bailey and his Rhythm Busters in some recordings made for Variety, which was a small label owned by Irving Mills, who was Duke, had been Duke Ellington's manager. So these two tunes feature, again, Newton, Bailey, and Brown. Don Fry is on the piano. He was the original pianist for this group. James McLean again on guitar, and Kirby and O'Neill Spencer. So the two tunes we're going to hear are both Buster Bailey compositions. One is called, or the first is called, Afternoon in Africa, co-composed actually by Bailey and Don Fry, and Dizzy Debutante by Buster Bailey. Then we're going to finish up with a little bit of a curiosity. Uh, this is Newton and um, Pete Brown playing uh, in backing to a blues singer, Jimmy Gordon. Jimmy Gordon and his Vip Vop Band, which recorded in New York City on April 28th of 1939 for DECA. This was one of the many, many, many um, blues singers who were recording what was called, for want of a better term, party music at the time. This is a type of style sort of evolved into the Chicago blues, the urban blues of Muddy Waters and so forth, but it was much more swing-oriented. And In fact, if you want a, a jazz correlation, you might look to the music of someone like Louis Jordan or someone like that, and very, very similar, heading into rhythm and blues. So this band was Jimmy Gordon singing, 
Frankie Newton and Pete Brown, Sammy Price, the great blues pianist, and Zudi Singleton, the great drummer from New Orleans. And we're going to hear one tune from that session called the Mojo Blues. So those are our four tunes coming up right now. Peace, Brother Peace, Afternoon in Africa, Dizzy Debutante, and the Mojo Blues.
got a mojo She won't let me see Say my baby got a mojo She won't let me see And I believe to my soul That girl and put that thing on me I've been looking for that mojo But she really better keep it here I've been looking for that mojo She better keep it here Because I got something just to find that mojo with. to chew her cood Says I love that woman Like a car love to chew her cood She has made all of that money And moved back to the piney wood Shines like the morning star She have got a gold crown Shines like the morning star And when she start to loving me She rocks me just like a Cadillac So there are a few things by Frankie Newton and Pete Brown. The first three were by the nascent uh, John Kirby sextet slash septet. And uh, in the first case, anyway, backing the great pianist uh, Willie the Lion Smith. He took over that band to make a couple of dates, actually. And we heard uh, in the first set, we heard um, the old stamping ground. And we just heard Peace, Brother, Peace. Kind of a strange tune, but featuring some very fine playing. Uh, not only by Pete Brown on alto and Frankie Newton on trumpet, but by Buster Bailey on clarinet. And we're going to hear quite a bit of Buster Bailey here coming up. He was a uh, very highly regarded musician in African-American dance band and jazz circles from, oh, the World War I era all the way up until he passed away in the mid-60s. He had 
played uh, briefly with the uh, WC Handy Band, and then he ended up in Chicago playing with Erskine Tate. He played with King Oliver's Band. Uh, he became quite friendly with Louis Armstrong at the time. They didn't record together, but when Armstrong went to New York to play with Fletcher Henderson's band, he asked Henderson to hire Buster Bailey as well, which he did, and then Bailey stayed in New York pretty much for the rest of his life. And he was a busy enough and versatile enough musician on clarinet and saxophone that he never really had to tour a whole lot. He could stay in the New York area and and uh, always be assured of work. He was an excellent uh, musician. He probably would have been a classical clarinet player if things had turned out a little differently for him. Uh, he uh, became quite a facile jazz improviser. His uh, jazz sometimes seems a little out of date from the 30s. It sounds a little bit more from the 20s or even the tens, but his technique was really extraordinary, and he was uh, supposedly an impossible person to meet in a jam session for another clarinet player. Nobody could touch Buster Bailey in terms of playing fast. He had actually studied with Benny Goodman's clarinet teacher in Chicago, and uh, he had played with many bands in New York, Fletcher Henderson, the Mills Blue Rhythm Band, and so forth, but he was uh, destined now to play for about ten years with the John Kirby Band, and then uh, he went out on his own. He played with uh, Red Allen in the 1950s and 60s. And then he ended his days playing with the Louis Armstrong All-Stars uh, after 40 years going back to uh, where he had been in Chicago in the early 1920s playing next to Louis Armstrong. And we heard some very fine clarinet playing on that as on the next two, which uh, Buster Bailey led. And this was Buster Bailey and his Rhythm Busters and two tunes composed uh, by him or in part by him. Afternoon in Africa, a very sort of... Uh, atmospheric, almost Ellington-ish piece, uh, had some really terrific Frankie Newton trumpet on there. Uh, he was noted for his very uh, deliberate, muted sounds and, and, and you know, the, the, the passion that he could play at a very low volume was uh, amazing. We're going to hear a couple more uh, examples of that coming up. And then we had Dizzy Debutante, a completely different tune. Uh, as the title would suggest, it kind of bounces along uh, senselessly until uh, all the soloists get their say. And we heard from all three horns on that and also a little bit from Don Fry, the pianist. And then we ended up with uh, kind of a strange one, a blues session for DECA in 1939. I should mention those other two, uh, Buster Bailey and Willie Lyon-Smith sessions, were both from 1937. So this is a little bit later. This is one of the later recordings that Newton and Brown made together, backing Jimmy Gordon, and Jimmy Gordon and his hip-hop band, playing the Mojo Blues with an especially fine Pete Brown solo on that. So as I said, uh, Pete Brown and... Um, uh, Frankie Newton had worked together through the mid-30s, and they started playing together in Frankie Newton's band, playing at the Onyx and uh, some other places as well. Newton began arranging for this band and expanded it to, to uh, somewhat larger dimensions than had been the case uh, earlier on, some of these recordings that we just heard. Um, we're going to hear a few tunes right now, actually three tunes, uh, Eh, make it four. Why not? Four tunes from the Frankie Newton and his Uptown Serenaders dates for Variety Records. These were done in March and April of 1937. And as I said, with a somewhat bigger band. This was after uh, the schism, I guess, when John Kirby uh, took uh, Buster Bailey and Billy Kyle and uh, O'Neill Spencer and... Uh, 
basically replaced uh, Frankie Newton with Charlie Shavers and Pete Brown with Russell Prokop to make his classic sextet. Uh, but Frankie Newton was not to be deterred. He put this band together, and uh, the first uh, session from March 5th of 1937 features quite an all-star group. Frank Newton on trumpet, and also, as I mentioned, he does the arrangements. Edmund Hall was on clarinet. This was one of his first sessions where he was really featured, and he certainly is on clarinet on some of these tunes, and also on baritone sax on one a little bit later. Pete Brown on alto, Cecil Scott, Frankie Newton's erstwhile employer from about 10 years before, on tenor sax, uh, Don Fry is on piano, Richard Fulbright on bass, and Cozy Cole on drums, and Clarence Palmer takes the vocals on these. So this is a pretty hot little band uh, playing at the Onyx Club. We're going to start out with the old standard, Who's Sorry Now?, and then we're going to go uh, to two vocal tunes that uh, actually come from the second session with a slightly different personnel. Frankie Newton, Pete Brown, Cecil Scott again, Edmund Hall playing clarinet and Barry, Don Fry, John Smith on guitar, Fulbright and Cole again, and Russell Prokop is added on alto sax. He plays the lead parts and a short solo at one point. And on vocals, we have Slim Gayard from Slim and Slam, but much before that. So you get a sense of his jazz singing and how he developed into the, the Vautaruni uh, singer that he became. So we're going to hear two sort of standards. There's no two ways about it, and Cuz My Baby Says It's So. And then we're going to finish that set, or that part of the set, with a very bright tune by Frankie Newton that's somewhat based on Ole Miss Rag. It's called the Britwood Stomp. And Britwood, uh, I think the uh, Britwood was the establishment where they were playing for a while. And this has some interesting things. It starts out with Russell Prokop on alto, and then quickly gives way to Pete Brown on uh, alto. We have Cecil Scott playing a couple of different clarinet passages. Uh, some people thought it was Russell Prokop. I think it's definitely Cecil Scott. And Edmund Hall is responsible for the baritone sax. So those are our four tunes. If we have a little time, I might slip in another one, but we're going to definitely hear Who's Sorry Now? There's No Two Ways About It, Because My Baby Says It's So, and The Britwood Stomp by Frankie Newton and his Uptown Serenaders.
There's no two ways about it. You're the one for me, baby. I'm a social member to a high society. There's no two ways about it. You're the one for me, baby. There's a sense of speaking of affection. You're my selection. You've got that personality, babe. What's the combination you and I could always be? Oh, there's no two ways about it, babe. You're the one for me, rabbit, ever do baby.
So there you have Frankie Newton and his Uptown Serenaders. The first tune was from the uh, December, or excuse me, the March 1937 session, and uh, that was called Who's Sorry Now? We get a sense of Newton the arranger and also Frankie Newton the trumpet player. He's been sort of... Uh, quiet and introspective in a lot of the recordings we've heard, even the up-tempo ones, but here he's really showing off his Louis Armstrong roots. He's got an amazing technique that he displays on, on some of these solos and also just in the lead parts that he's playing as well. And we heard Edmund Hall on clarinet, Pete Brown on alto, a little bit of Cecil Scott on tenor, and Don Fry on piano, and with them Richard Fulbright on bass and Cozy Cole on drums. So then we heard three tunes from the April session of 1937. We heard There's No Two Ways About It and because My Baby Says It's So, both of which featured the vocal of Slim Gayard. Um, some interesting jazz singing. He wasn't getting into the novelty vocals that uh, he did a little bit later in his career that actually got him quite a bit of notoriety and popularity as well. And a more great Frank New Frankie Newton on uh, these sides as well. Uh, Pete Brown is featured on all three of these. He was uh, really quite a, a vigorous soloist. He wasn't a virtuoso, but he had a, a rhythmic way of playing. As I said, he had been a trumpet player, too, and recorded a little bit on trumpet. Uh, you can hear some of uh, that on my podcast, on one of the recordings I played. And his phrasing sounds more trumpet-like than saxophone-like in some ways, so that might have been where all that came from. We also heard Cecil Scott on clarinet on the Britwood Stomp, which was the uh, fourth tune, and uh, Edmund Hall playing clarinet on the first couple of tunes, and baritone sax on Britwood Stomp. We also heard a little bit of Russell Prokop uh, on the uh, third tune, Cause My Baby Says It's So. In the middle of the clarinet solo, he took a, the bridge on alto sax. There are two clarinet solos on Britwood Stomp. The first one is definitely Cecil Scott. It sounds like him and Prokop had played the little transitional figure right before that. Uh, the clarinet solo on the way out, I'm less sure about. It could be Russell Prokop because he did play clarinet, of course. He had played it with Jelly Roll Morton in 1929 on his first recording session. Uh, and, of course, he was featured occasionally with Duke Ellington later on uh, playing that very old-style woody clarinet. So the second one could have been him. We did have a little bit of time, so I went back to the Panazier Sessions, 1939, and uh, I played uh, a blues tune called Rompin', credited to Mez Mesro, who played the clarinet solo on there as well. We also heard a wonderful guitar solo by Al Casey, who was only about 17 or 18 years old at that point, I think. Uh, he had been playing with Fats Waller since he was in high school. He was a marvelous rhythm guitarist, and he also did some very fine solos as well. So we have time for two more before we finish our program, and uh, those are going to be also from the Panazier Sessions. We're going to hear Minor Jive, which features uh, Frank Newton on his uh, most tender uh, muted playing, and that particular tune was credited again to Mesro. He was sort of a bluesy composer. And then we're going to finish up with the Earl Hines tune, Rosetta which will feature all of the horns as well as James P. Johnson doing his usual outstanding stride piano. So we hope you've enjoyed this program that uh, salutes the talents of a, a, a team, a woodwind and brass team, uh, Frank Newton on trumpet and Pete Brown on alto sax and some of the recordings that they made during the 1930s. Very characteristic swing, 52nd Street recordings uh, that run the gamut from very highly arranged, intricately played uh, swing uh, band type of arrangements to very loose uh, bluesy accompaniments like the one for Jim Jimmy Gordon and also the couple we're going to hear coming up now so 
quite a range of music being played during the swing era, and uh, we heard two of the the, the best, although uh, not the best known players, uh, at least not today. So hopefully this will add to the appreciation of Frankie Newton and Pete Brown. You've been listening to the Jazz Focus here on WETF, South Bend in Indiana, the jazz station. My name is John Clark. Hope you enjoyed the program. Take a look at my podcast and... Uh, Hopefully, we'll be doing lots more of these programs to come. Take a look at my uh, website, wolverinejazzband.com, and uh, send me an email through there or social media, Facebook or Instagram, on Wolverine Jazz Band. And let me know what you think of the program and if you have any particular ones you'd like to see me do in the future. So thank you again, and we're going to take this out with the Minor Jive and Rosetta.